today is from Mark 1, 40 through 45. And the leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And the people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. So I belong to a gym, and uh, there's class. When the class begins, actually, the trainer for that hour will begin by saying, uh, "Well, tell us who you are." And then there's usually a question after that, so we can kind of get to know each other. And the question, one of the sessions this week was, uh, "Tell us what you do for a living, and what you enjoy the most about it." Well, you know, in all the years I've been going there, I've never once had that question asked, and so most people have no idea what I do for a living. A few people, friends do, but a lot of people don't. And so I'm dreading this question because, you know, especially here in the city environment in 2022, typically I kill conversations with that question. I mean, I literally have told people I kill conversations and then it actually happens. Just proof. And so you go around, I go, hi, my name is Scott and I'm a pastor. And it's like a deer caught in headlight look. You know what I'm talking about? Like I've got a third eye, you know, and they're looking at me like that. But then I said this. And I said, what do I enjoy the most or what is it that I really enjoy? I said, I get to be with people in their most critical moments of life. I've been a minister now for 20 years. Most of that here. Some of it before that. Actually, since the late 90s. More, about 25 years total now. And, and one of the things that I've learned over the years is that when I meet with people, especially in my office, a lot of people are coming for healing. Now, rarely will it be physical healing. Uh, we do do a physical healing service here, typically once a year. More information to follow next one's in January. But a lot of times they're coming for, for spiritual healing, but sometimes psychological, emotional healing, social healing. And I think that I say that because when we come to a passage like this, we are naturally drawn to it. Not just because it's dramatic, there's a miracle involved, but because we are drawn to it. Because of what it means. Healing, you see. And, and, but what I want us to see this morning is this is a lot, about a lot more than a miracle. This is about a lot more than a physical healing. This is about the revelation of the character of God. Revealing who God is at his core, as we're going to see this morning. And so, yes, this is entitled The Story of Jesus, this series we're doing. And by the way, we're finally ending after two months, chapter one of Mark's gospel. We've got a long way to go, don't we? But, but today I want you to see it's not just about the story of Jesus. It's about our story about how we are drawn into the story of Jesus, and in the process, we discover more about our own story. We discover more about who we are and our identity and who we are defined and who we're intended to be in Jesus Christ as his followers. And so here's what I have for us this morning. I want you to see a sentence with me, meaning a a judgment, that kind of sentence. First, see a sentence. And secondly, I want you to feel a touch with me this morning. And finally, I want you to rejoice with a reversal. 
I want you to see the sentence, this judgment here. And then I want you to see or really feel the touch. Now just hear about it. It's important, I think, for us to connect. And lastly, we're going to rejoice together because of a great reversal we see in this text. Let's do the first thing here, and that is look at the sentence. So this is a very familiar story for a lot of people, uh, the story about a leper. And so back then, two millennia ago, leprosy meant any skin disease, really. It really meant uh, that anything that they couldn't define and they thought was contagious. And so now we know today, medically speaking, that actually leprosy, and it's very rare, by the way, but it still exists in certain quarters of the world. Uh, but leprosy is actually pretty difficult to get. It's not that contagious, medically, scientifically speaking. But 2,000 years ago, they didn't know that. And so greater than the contagion of the disease itself was the disease of fear. I uh, was sharing this recently with some people, and uh, but I'll share it with you now. Uh, you think about fear for, some, fear, for instance. And if I were to ask you, what are you more fearful of? Two options here. A shark attack or an attack by a dog? Now, my guess is, based upon doing this in the past and anecdotally speaking, most of you will say, oh, shark attack. Now, you know how many shark attacks are fatal globally every year on average? 4.3. 4.3 people on average die a year from, from a shark attack. You know how many people die globally from dog attacks? 30,000. 30,000. But I can almost guarantee you that when I asked the question, you didn't say, oh, dog attack. That's much more likely in my life. No, you said shark attack. Why? We know the answer to that. Because you can't see what you fear. And that's precisely what's happening here in this text. They can't see what they fear. And so there is great fear. I want you to really hold on to that here. I want you to see that, that in the life of this leper is great fear, both his own towards everyone else, but their fear towards him and what his disease represents, potential death. And so let's talk about that for a second, because you talk about a death, total condition death here. See, when you were a leper 2,000 years ago, you had to declare every time you saw someone, any time you were not alone, you had to declare, unclean, unclean. And you had to keep a safe distance, a bubble of 50 feet away from anyone. Now, you can imagine, every time you see someone, you have to say that. It wasn't just that other people avoided you. After a while, you began to avoid other people. Because who wants to spend your life saying, unclean, shame, unclean, shame. This is his life. This is, and so, it's a total condition. So it's a social death. Josephus, the famous historian of the time, Jewish historian, he said, he said, the lepers are like living corpses. The original walking dead. And it wasn't just social, though. Of course, it was physical. It's excruciating pain and, and suffering, and at least in the places where you still have nerve endings. And, and many people eventually would, would die of leprosy because they're not aware of, of other conditions that they get because they can't feel you know, the, 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 uh, the suffering in some places. And so it, it wasn't just social, but then there was also physical pain. And of course, uh, back then, 2,000 years ago, their understanding of leprosy was this. There was also spiritual death. Because if you had leprosy, you were cursed by God. This is the, the, the understanding of what leprosy was. This is who Jesus is dealing with. Someone who's got a total condition of death. 
You know, and I think, honestly, even though that's pretty extreme, and again, very few people have leprosy today, but I think we can begin to taste of this just a little bit through COVID. You know, when I uh, got COVID, I was one of the very first people in Georgia. Some of you know that story. Crazy. Late February 2020, early first week in March is when I got it. And back then, people especially had no idea what this was, and I just knew I had something. And then we started hearing about, oh, it's pretty bad. And so I spent two weeks isolated in my house. Two weeks. And, and uh, you know, I could listen to the sounds of life happening with my children and with Kirsten. But the two shall not meet. Complete isolation. And, and at the end of that two weeks, I want you to know, there, there's not enough Netflix shows available to binge watch that can cover what you experience and feel in isolation. That can last maybe a couple days, and that's it. But by, by the second week, it was excruciating being alone and isolated. And, and Kirsten, you know, again, we don't know what, the, the, you know, stay away. I'm not going to touch you, that sort of thing. Lacking touch. And I think that helps us understand a little bit of what it's like for this guy. But just a little bit, a micro level, as excruciating as it was. I mean, I was depressed when it happened. But as excruciating, as depressing as it was, imagine dealing with that not just for a few days, not just for a couple weeks, but for months and possibly years. Can you imagine what you're experiencing? Put yourself in the shoes of the leper for a second. What is it like to be utterly alone in the universe? This is the man that Jesus is dealing with. And so, in light of that, I want you to stay in the shoes of the leper as we think about not just that sentence, that sentence of social, psychological, emotional, physical, spiritual death. But now I want you to feel a touch that suddenly comes upon the scene. So I want to read again verses 40 and 41. This is sort of the the turning point in the short text in many ways. It says this, And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Remember what I said about the boundaries. You're supposed to declare unclean and the leper doesn't. You're supposed to keep 50 feet away and the leper doesn't. And not only that, I didn't say this, but did you know there was a regulation on the book, so to speak? That even if a leper didn't touch you, if their shadow fell upon you, they're too close. And that renders you ceremonially unclean. And boy, is that a process to get clean again. I mean, it's not just, you know, hey, I washed my hands with a a little soap here. No, no, no. There was a whole process that would take weeks to become clean again. And so this is why you kept your distance. You didn't even allow the shadow of the leopard to fall, but much less to touch you. And so already, can you see the boundaries that have been violated by this leper? It says something about how desperate he was, friends. How desperate he was. Because he had heard stories about this rabbi. He had heard stories about this faith healer, as it were. And so he doesn't care about the prohibitions. He doesn't care what it's going to cost him by violating these social boundaries. What he cares about is being healed, and so he violates those boundaries. And so the question, the tension in the text, if you're reading up to that point, is what will Jesus do? What will this great Jewish rabbi do? 
as it were. What does he do? We know what he does. The text tells us. Moved with pity. He stretched out and touched them. Now, what do you think with him about the face of fear? We have just come through what I would argue is the most fearful, or maybe we're not even through it. But we are in the midst, maybe, but whether, no matter what your vantage point on that, there has been a lot of fear in our hearts the last several years. And not just with COVID. Political fear. Oh, my gosh. You can make a mint off people's fear in politics these days. Racial, other things going on. I mean, we just live in a world that's, thanks be to God that we're talking about anxiety and depression tonight. We all need to be there. And, much has come on. Um, yeah, I was, I was, I went for a walk. This is, I can't remember which wave in COVID this was, but at some point, you know, again, we're, we're pretty isolated as a community. And I went for a walk and, and I was walking down the sidewalk and another man was walking the other direction and, and he was watching me. And as we passed, he says, you're too close. And he yelled at me and he just kept running the other way, sort of thing like that. Now I was left with two emotions when that happened. Number one, shame. As if I've done something wrong by just walking in my neighborhood. I mean, and then the immediate emotion that came right after that is, wait a minute, I've not done anything wrong here. I'm ticked off. I was so angry. I mean, I wanted to read him the riot act, tell him off. That's right, the priest. Yeah, wanted to do that there. Confess it to another priest, I suppose. Right, but no, I, I, was, I was already pretty far this way, and so I ended up just brooding on it instead, Right. And I, and I, you know, it's funny, I read an Atlantic Magazine article this week that says we need to declare amnesty for how we treat each other two years ago. And uh, that's so true. Like, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, we, 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 made, we made a lot of errors in judgment. Both sides, if you will, because there are sides, as you know. But, but I, you know, I thought, my gosh, like, there's so much fear. And so how does Jesus respond? And so into that, he touches him. Now, if you were not here last week, I said this, that it's not just the works and the words of Jesus that matter. It's the ways of Jesus. Remember that? We talked about the rhythm of rest. If you weren't here last week, let me encourage you to go on online and listen to it online there because it's a great setup even now for this week. But, but the ways of Jesus. So it's not just that he heals him. It's how he heals him. It's how he chooses. Because you need to know this. Jesus could have simply said, you're healed. He, he had every... He had the power to do that. We know that. Why? Because remember, the, on the, the, he's on the Sea of Galilee. There's a storm. And what happens? They're, they're all about to die, it looks like. And Peter's like, ah, oh, we're going to die. You know, do you not care? And do you remember what Jesus does? He says to the wind and waves, be still. And it's still. And when he exercises demons, he says, out of there. And they're gone. I mean, the whole universe responds to him with just words. And yet he doesn't do that here. He allows himself to be ceremonially defiled. He goes out of his way, as it were, to touch him at the most inappropriate, socially taboo moment. Why? Here's why. Because Jesus wants to do more than simply save his soul. He wants to restore him to community. What does it say in verse 44? 
Verse 44 says, now, now having been healed, now go, arise, and, and go to the priest. Show yourself to the priest. Now, this was the whole process. Again, the whole certification process that took a few weeks. But still, I mean, can you imagine? This guy's been, who knows, he's had a death sentence hanging over him. And so how excited he would have been to go to that priest and, and receive that. Now, what that meant was, now the whole community knows that you've been restored. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is showing us something about the nature of, of touch and what that means socially for us. Princess Diana was a fascinating woman. I know you've probably been watching The Crown along with me and others and so forth. And but prior to The Crown, but like she was just a fascinating woman, and and she did something that was that was truly courageous in 1987. There was a clinic that was established for AIDS patients and HIV positive uh, there in the UK. And with the cameras rolling very famously, some of you will remember this. You're old enough to remember this. Very famously, she sat on the bedside. She sat next to the AIDS patients, and she touched them. And she intentionally did that, not for the cameras, no, but because of her heart, I think. But with the cameras rolling, touched them and hugged them, got in close and intimate with them. Approximately 10 years later, right before, tragically, she died in that auto accident. She was in South Africa with President Nelson Mandela. And this is what Mandela said about her. When she sat on the bed of a man with HIV AIDS and held his hand, she transformed public attitudes and improved the life chances of such people. Improved the life chances of such people. I want you to, I want you to know this. I want you to hear this. Salvation is multidimensional. It isn't just that Jesus came to save our souls, but he came to save all of us, holistically. And yes, it's true that we don't normally see what happened to the leper. There are plenty of people who have been plenty sick and have not recovered from their sickness and disease. But what we see here is a picture. I really believe this. I was talking with David about this before the service. That I think that what Jesus is doing is giving us a picture of what's to come. Not just that we're disembodied spirits somehow hanging out in the sky. No, 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 no. The new heavens, new earth. The promise of the reason why we have a longing within our heart for the idyllic, irenic picture of Eden. This picture of shalom. The Hebrew word for peace, life, vitality, and prosperity. It's this picture that, that the whole self, the whole person will one day be restored. And so why is Jesus not... It's interesting, the, the, the leper, he doesn't say, um, will you just heal me from this disease? No, he says, make me clean. And that was a social category, meant to be restored to the community. And Jesus says, I'm going to do that for you. And, and so what I want us to see here is something that in the evangelical church, I think we often miss. Because we are excellent as evangelicals, being you know, theologically conservative and orthodox. We're excellent at talking about conversion, evangelism, keyword there, evangelical, repentance. But, but, but Jesus says you don't have to choose. See, I think the, the more conservative church, again, the, you know, we're really good at that. But then we hear words like social justice, or a better way to put that is biblical justice, in my opinion. But we see biblical, and we think, ah, is that what liberals do? Isn't that, isn't that their focus, progressives? And we kind of look askance because of some of the baggage that comes with that, and, and, and we just kind of turn that off. We just we choose this over here, and then 
the church on the other side of the equation, the mainline church in particular, it's it's the other way around, I think. It's it's like it's all about social justice, but no, we're not going to talk about conversion or repentance because that's not very tolerant. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, you miss love if you highlight one without the other. They are two sides of the same coin. And what's fascinating is Jesus doesn't even tell us here that he heals him spiritually. Think about that for a second. We have no indication from the text that that's actually what happened. But of course, Jesus wasn't done. And so, with that in mind, rejoicing in the reversal lastly here. Because Jesus wasn't done. When the leper comes, I want you to notice a couple things there. Number one, he comes with humility, kneeling down, it says. He's taking a massive risk. Number two, he comes. See, religion tells us there are certain things that we must do to make ourselves clean. And if we can just line up and do those things, we're good with our deity. And that deity can be a capital G God. It could be a small G, secular God. I'm good with my community. I don't believe there's an afterlife, but I'm good here on earth, right? So that's just as much religion, by the way, just as much. But no matter which direction you go, religion tells you that. But what is this? I think this leopard gives us so much more than simply that he came for healing physically because what he does is he comes with humility. And what is it that we need to see this morning, that we need to come and see our spiritual leprosy? We need to see that, that we have a, not a skin disease, but a sin disease. And that he came to, to heal us from that. And so I want you to see this reversal. Here's the exchange. The leper comes and, and he's longing for healing. And Jesus touches him. What happens when Jesus touches him? He's made unclean. The, the leper is healed. He rejoices. But Jesus is made unclean by taking on sin itself. There's a great story about a man named Father Damien. Father Damien was a Belgian Catholic priest who in the 1870s left Belgium in the comforts of home and went to Molokai on the island of Hawaii to a leper colony. And for 11 years, he worked among the lepers there. For the first six or seven years, he would gather with them on a sunny morning, and, and as he would prepare his sermon or as he would stand before them like I'm doing with you now, he would always begin his sermon by saying this, Brothers and sisters, my fellow brothers and sisters, But about seven years into his ministry there, he woke up one morning on the Sabbath, actually. He made hot tea, and he was making the water for the tea, and he inadvertently spilled it upon his feet. And as he did so, he moved to recoil from the instant pain, and he realized he had no pain. And he realized that he had now become a leper. And so that morning when he got up to preach before the brothers and sisters, he said, my fellow lepers. Jesus was this. He who knew no sin became sin. For you and I, that we might be reconciled to God. This is the great exchange that we talk about here at City Church. And if you're a follower of Christ, you know about that great exchange. But you need to hear it again, because we forget. And if you're not yet a follower of Christ, what would it look like for you to know him the way that we're discussing right now? The way that I'm imploring to you, as he came to implore Jesus for healing, I implore you. What it would look like to embrace the great exchange And it's interesting that verse 41 actually begins with an interesting phrase, moved with pity. 
You know what's interesting about that? There's only one other time where that phrase was used. It was used with Lazarus. Remember the story of Lazarus? He dies, and, and Jesus is a friend, and it says, moved with compassion, same word there. Moved, and you know what that actually means? This is, by the way, in English rendered a poor translation in some ways, especially for modern years. When we hear the word pity, we're not drawn to that, are we? Let's be honest. Pity. What is pity? But it actually means moved with anger. And what happens? Jesus sees suffering, and he's moved with anger that, that, that his Father's creation has been sullied and soiled with disease and frustration and fear and contagion. And how does he respond? Because at the cross, he responds with the Father's anger being satisfied. It's a great exchange. But not only that, understand this last thing that relates desolation. Remember, I've mentioned this, haven't I, all throughout the series so far. We see that word over and over and over again. It means the same thing, wilderness. And so whenever you see the word desolation or wilderness in the text in first chapter there, it's pointing the same thing. This is place of isolation. And here's what's so fascinating. It says in Leviticus chapters 13 to 14 that if you have leprosy, you cannot be in the city. You must go outside the city gates and live in isolation apart from population. And what happens here in this text? What happens? Jesus, after he heals him, says, now don't tell anyone, which is, I think, a hard call. Yeah, you, you've had leprosy. It's a death sentence, and he's having a hard time keeping it to himself, okay? I think we can be empathic here. But nevertheless, Jesus is not wanting to blow things up yet. And so he waits, and what happens instead? Blabbermouth does what blabbermouth does. And he goes and tells everyone, and what does the text say? Now Jesus moves into isolation. Don't you see what happened there, friends? The great exchange. Jesus goes to desolation. Hebrews 13, 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. He goes into the wilderness. He goes into desolation. And we have been brought out from death into life. So here's where I want to end. So what? What difference can this make for our life this week? Two things. Number one, again, Embrace your spiritual leprosy. And yes, have, if you're a follower of Christ, you've been healed, but that should humble you. And to come to him again on bended knee, saying, thank you, Jesus. Kneeling before him and to receive all over again his touch. To say, you're my son. You're my daughter in whom I am well pleased. But then secondly, it should send you out. It should absolutely send you out to touch those. One of the things that's profound about the early church Rodney Stark talks about in the rise of Christianity is that when everyone else had fled the cities because of the plague, the Christians stayed. And they ministered knowing what that meant. Many of them dying. All the stories of, of the men and women of the church who died of the plague because they ministered to those who had no one else. Everyone else had fled. And Rodney Stark talks about it was a turning point, an inflection point in the early church. And how the church began to explode in growth in the first three centuries, in part because of this. Because the pagans literally would come back to the city and say, I want to know who your God is. That you would stay behind and care for my relatives. That's how so many people converted. And so I, I want to ask us as a modern day church, what does it look like to go out and minister to those with plague? 
What does it look like to go out to minister to those with leprosy? And what it means in part is that we first minister to each other, is what that means. And it means that for some of you, you say, I need to actually share with other people what's going on in my heart. I need to share with people about psychologically and emotionally and spiritually how I feel like I'm diseased right now, how I am broken. And so there's that, that need to come like a leper and to be honest and, 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 and uh, receive comfort, yes, but then we need to respond with touch. And and there's power in non-sexual touch, friends. There is incredible power in that touch. When you just simply physically lay a hand on someone's shoulder, it's amazing how just touch, what it communicates. It says that I see you and I feel you and I see your presence and you matter. It's dignity. Jesus touched him to bring him dignity, to restore him to community. Part of the vision of this church, part of the vision of any gospel-believing church, lover of Jesus' church, should be to restore people back to community. And so we practice that together. And as disciples, practicing that together, that we then go out and we practice that with total strangers. And we practice that with, with people on the fringes and the margins of the community. And there are some of you, and I look around this room and I see some of you, there's some of you that, that I feel like God has played a special call upon my heart to come alongside those who are on the fringes and the margins, those who may not be seen by the majority community, the homeless community, people with disease, physical and otherwise, uh, mental health issues. May we be that church. May people not need to go to another church, but maybe they come here because they've seen us go out there and to be the hands and feet of Jesus, showing them that the multidimensionality, the holistic nature and the power, the profundity of the good news of Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, Redeemer, Redeemer, Savior and Sinner. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the picture of the leper because it's our picture. It's, it's not skin disease, but it is sin disease. And, and we... We can come to you and say, Father, thank you for your son, that you have sent him in the great exchange, that he was defiled with our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. But, but more than that, now we've been sent out. We are the sent ones. The truly, uh, what it means to be a disciple, to be sent out to proclaim the goodness of your creation, the goodness of your kingdom specifically. That every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord holistically, from the soul, the spirit, all the way up physically, Lord, we can't wait for the day when there's no more tears, no more sorrow, when there's no more disease, no more people dying of things physical, emotional, spiritual, psychological. So come, Lord Jesus. We thank you that at the cross and in the empty tomb, you you demonstrate to us what you're doing, that you will make all things new from the inside out. And so may we be that church. May we be the church of the inside out people who demonstrate what love looks like. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Now we're going to take some time to respond to God's word through confession.